Welcome to the Paragold Podcast. This is Jerry Pickney, and I'm joined today by Rick Ellis, who is the Senior Director of Manufacturing Operations at FMH Conveyors. Um, but before that, he served as a plant manager at Nidic right here in Paragold. And so, Rick, thanks so much for making time to come on today. Thank you very much for having me. So this is not the first time we have been in a room together. I actually took a tour of Nidic uh, back whenever you were the plant manager there. But this is the first time, I guess, that we're having an opportunity to have a conversation and get to know each other more, um, not just talking about the business of a company or whatever. And so I'm interested in just knowing some of your story, kind of where you came from and, and how you got to where you are today. Okay. You want me to start? Yeah, man. Fire away. Well, I started, I'm going to step all the way back. I'm a Greene County resident, born and raised here. Uh, you know my mom and dad. Yep. I was raised in a Christian home. Raised with just uh, good people, that hardworking people that tried to make a living and raise their family. Mm. And that's where I'm from. Mm. And uh, when uh, didn't didn't come from much, mom and dad gave me all they could give me mm-hmm. and uh, took care of us kids. My mom worked two jobs. My dad worked nights. Mm. Always, uh, always made sure that we had what we need. Mm-hmm. And... Um, my story started when I was 13, and um, my dad was going to buy me a, uh, something that I really wanted. It was a shotgun, and um, he took me to a local uh, gun shop here in Paragould, and we went in, we looked at it, he showed it to me. I looked at it, and I was looking at this gun, and he says, here it is, son, and I was looking at it. I seen this one sitting right beside it. And it was like looking at a Ford Tempo and looking at a Cadillac. And I said, Dad, I want, you know, I really like this one here. Well, that's not the one you're going to get today, son. <laughs> and uh, I still remember very well uh, that day. And he said, this is the one I can offer you. And I said, that's not the one I want. And I, I know without a shadow of a doubt that it kind of hurt his feelings, hurt his pride a little sure um he went out we got in the truck and he sat down before he turned the truck on he said son he said i'm sorry he said i, I understand he said but i can't do that for you mm-hmm. if you want it you gotta earn it i still remember wow 13 i was 13 and summer had just started and long story short he he says uh you've got to earn it he went to work at three o'clock. He worked second shift at Emerson, which okay. is today NEDEC. Yeah. So my whole life has been evolved around NEDEC and Emerson. And he called home at seven thirty that night. And I called. Or he, I answered the phone, and he's and I said, "Hey, Dad, I need to be in Mounds, Arkansas, in the morning at seven a.m." And he said, "Why?" And I said, "Well, I got a job chopping cotton." Wow. And three. How did you get that job? Just made some phone calls. Uh, back in the day, people were looking for labor. Labor was important, and it was before spraying and before chemicals and herbicides and that kind of thing. And um, I lived at Walcott, so if you can, you do mm-hmm. the distance. It was a thirty-mile one-way trip. Three dollars an hour, ten hours a day. Thirty dollars a day. Dad probably spent more gas money than that <laughs> taking me back and forth. And I think it was more of a 
learning experience than anything else. He took me all summer to work. Really? And I, you, you completed the job all summer? All summer. Wow. Worked all summer, paid for that gun, paid for every dime of it. Still got it today. It's really? It's still, still a piece. And it was, uh, but one thing that he, that he left with me that, that never has left me in my working career is that day before we pulled into that farmer's driveway, he actually, um, he said, son, let me take, give me, give you some advice. And I said, okay. And he said, you give a man an honest day's work and you'll never, ever have to worry about a job. Hmm. I'll never forget that. Wow. And it sat with me and I was 13 years old and I went in, didn't know the first thing about any of that about farming about working you know i had a few, few odd and end jobs mowing yards and stuff like that as a kid but that was the first real job i had working by the hour and that's kind of where my history started from that day from one year to the next i've, I've went from chopping cotton to driving a tractor to to um I, I became very active in uh, future farmers of america in high school thanks to jerry gillum I don't know. He he was my ag teacher at the time. He seen something in me that I didn't see in myself. Hmm. And I was just barely getting by, just barely making C's. Mm-hmm. Just, and uh, he grabbed me one day and he said, son, you got a lot more to offer in there than wow. that. And uh, he put me on a tractor, taught me how to drive tractor, taught me how to, uh, I'm not going to say uh, raise a crop, but he, he taught me a lot. He taught me a lot about life in general. And... As Do you I, remember any of those lessons? And you say he taught you a lot about life in general. Just life in general. Just just using, just using every everything you do. It reflects your life, and and it goes back to what my dad said about giving a guy an honest day's work, and always and never looking for a job or never having to worry about a job from that day forward. Where do you think that work ethic? Do you think it came from your parents? I mean, obviously your dad. That was a very monumental moment where he said, "You give someone an honest day work, and you'll never hurt." for a job and then obviously i think you said your mom worked two jobs and your dad always worked do you think that's where you learned that from you know it has to be i mean i know they worked really hard to give us what we had and they always wanted us to have more and mom worked two jobs she drove a school bus and she was a beautician dad worked in the factory uh and they they always worked dad worked every minute of overtime that he could get just to provide for his family hmm. and uh the one thing that i I don't think I have to tell you, Jared, but but my mom and my mom and dad both always put God first, mm-hmm. and that was a big factor I think in making me who I am today. None of us is perfect for sure, right? But I think it played a big role in that. It played a played a big role in my career, big role in my just my overall outcome. How I looked at every day when I got up, and went to work. That's right. So and, you, you obviously grow up in a home. Faith is important. Honesty is important. Character is important. Hard work is important. You meet Jerry Gilliam. Is that what his name? Mm-hmm. And at that point, you said you're making C's. You're probably like, you know, maybe not a whole lot of motivation to just really apply yourself in school. But he pulls you aside and says, I see something you probably don't see in yourself. Like, man, there's more in there. And so then he begins to pour into you. You're, you're, that's in high school? It was in high school, ninth grade. Okay. And so what take, kind of picked me up in the story from there? So he mentored me. Uh, him and I spent a lot of time together, a lot of quality time. Uh, I wasn't. I'm not going to say I was a dumb kid, but I wasn't. I, I wasn't a valedictorian by any means. Mm-hmm. And 
he just always worked and and he he felt that there was always a passion that everyone has a passion and everybody has that desire to do something and, and mm-hmm. he wanted me to find that passion whatever it was and uh the times that we spent on the school farm working on the school farm uh working day in and day out uh understanding the the mechanical processes of of just work in general and 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 the responsibilities of that uh he just continued to build off of that right there and uh i spent two years with jerry and uh it wasn't two just about the time that he got me trained another farmer grabbed me and and uh, in the local area and offered me a little bit more money and said hey we want you to do this right here and Jerry was expecting that. That's just the way life goes. And I graduated high school, 1991, and uh, had plans on going to college uh, in ag business. Okay. Because that's what Jerry had pushed me for, and I did have an interest in it. Um, But back then, you know, I wasn't as focused on school as what I should have been. I wasn't focused on education. Um, I looked around, I started the school, I had a lot of things on my mind, um, chasing different things that I probably shouldn't have been chasing. And, um, along the way I decided I needed to get a job and I went to work at Emerson Electric in 1993. Mm. Where dad had been working, right? Where dad had been working and dad didn't really like that because he was stuck there. Uh, I left that one part too. I, I met my wife in 1991 may of 1991 and her and i were dating spending a lot of time together i was trying to go to school full time working 40 hours a week at emerson um so something had to give along the way and it was college Hmm. and we uh, we decided we would get married in uh, 93 and i still remember where i was standing when i told my dad i was getting married (laughs) And uh, we were standing on top of a hill, and I told him, I said, Dad, I got some things I want to talk to you about. And he said, okay. And he told me that, or I told him that Heather and I were going to get married, and I was going to quit school. And on top of that, I was going to build a house all in the same, <laughs> all in the same Ambition, conversation. Man. And uh, I left out one point of going to work at Emerson and where we're at today that will surprise everybody to understand I started work at Emerson making $4.10 an hour. Wow. Running a machine in a department. Back in 93? In 93. And, you, I mean, you do the math on $4 an hour times 40 hours. I was bringing home $300 a week. You weren't going to be building just a huge house with that salary? No, I wasn't. And uh, so... But he, he understood. He understood where we was, and he told me that... Uh, he wished us the best of luck, and we got married in 1994, and uh, we built a house. The day we built our house, we was actually uh, laying the foundation to our home the day that we, or the day we got married, we were actually hmm. laying the foundation to our home. We had one day that we spent on a honeymoon, and we come home and went to park on our house. Wow. So you were the one putting a lot of work and building it? We built it. Like yeah. you actually, we actually built, built it. it. Uh, Not like I called a contractor and said build it. No, myself, Heather, and her dad and her mom. Actually, we built a house on the family farm in northwest 
Green County, uh, out around the commissary community. And Is that house still standing? We still live there today. Wow. Uh, we still live on the same farm. Farm. Uh, it's changed a lot. I mean, and it's just, uh, it's home to me, Green County's home. And that's just kind of my background, where I started from. And Man. how did I get the plant manager? Uh, and that's that's the whole story. Well, man, before you go to plant manager, I want to talk more about building a house. Well, how did you learn how to do that? I had no clue. <laughs> <laughs> my my father. So you're like, I'm going to build you a house, baby, and like uh, you're like really like I have no idea how I'm going to do this. No, my uh, it's funny. My father-in-law, he's he's gone now, but he actually uh, he was just a jack of all trades. He could do anything, mm-hmm. and uh, he he actually I was going to buy a house in Life, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And she was the baby, and and I was going to the bank to borrow the money, and um, he stopped me, and he said, son, if you can borrow the money to, to buy a house, you can borrow the money to build one. And he said, if you can get the money to build the house, I'll give you the ground, and we'll build it ourselves. Wow. And we started May the 22nd, and we moved in on October the 17th. Jeez. So we worked. Uh, we worked nights at emerson and left that out too heather went to work at emerson as well and we worked nights and then we would um we would work on the house during the day on the weekends and sometimes at night when we got off work and you still finished it and what was that six four months four months yeah four and a half months have you ever considered going into construction no 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 (laughs) what was the hardest part of building a house out of all that well, you know that people say that one of the hardest things of a marriage is building a house. Well, yeah, and that's and like when you hire people to do it. That's when you hire people to do it. And, and probably the greatest thing of, of us building one when we were young and 19 was we were um, we were on a budget. Mm-hmm. So we kind of had uh, certain things picked out. We knew exactly where we were, we, where we had to stay. And uh, the hardest part to me to build in the house was... Uh, once we got on the inside and the 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 sheetrock and the and the small details of the house and there was some things that we didn't do like for instance we didn't hang sheetrock we didn't finish it that kind of thing we hired it done mm-hmm. but everything else we done wow that's impressive and you're still there mm-hmm. in a world where people are moving more than ever and where you're more discontent than ever. Um, that says a lot. Like, why do you think you've stayed there? And I know you said it feels like home. Is that just, I mean, can you speak into that at all? I mean, Uh there's just something about, uh, I don't know about that, that, that seems, um, I don't know, just foreign to me. (laughs) I think it's foreign to our country, you know? So I'm an outdoorsman and I love the outdoors. I love, um, hunting and fishing and just being outside and we live on an 80 acre farm it's actually a little bit smaller than that now um where i can go outside anytime i want and do anything uh it's got a nine acre pond on it so in the afternoon when i come home from work if you just want to release and just relax you can grab your fishing pole get on the ranger and Right down the pond, and the fish are biting great. If they're not, no one's around to ask any questions, you know. <laughs> and and I I've just uh, I've just had a passion for the outdoors. We mm-hmm. raise a few cows now. 
So we messed with animals. My, I raised my kids out there. Uh, we was they were very active in 4-H and FFA. So we we did a lot of livestock shows and animals. That's cool. Where we was, uh, we tried to spend as much time together as we possibly could. And you can't do that in town and moving. And you got to have a a foundation. If you look around it, there's a there's a group of people that 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 I'm not going to say is content. But, but they're happy where they live because it, it's part of their life. Mm. Heather grew up on that farm, and so that farm means something to her. And her dad worked hard for it, and it's just where we call home. Yeah, are we going to stay there? Uh, you know, I, you know, who knows what 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 obstacles, what challenges come. I have no desire to leave, but you know, if if for whatever for whatever reason, if if we were called somewhere else, we 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 could leave. Sure. It's, um, there's not a real sense of rootedness. I don't feel like, especially in my generation. And so that like the, I think spaces are sacred, you know, Mm -hmm. they're just areas where, like you said, your wife grew up out there. They're just, I don't know, man, like land. There's something I think is romantic about, yeah. Putting down roots and just staying somewhere. Um, it allows you in some ways to develop deeper relationships. I feel like even with the people in that area or whoever's there with you. And so, Y'all, see, you build that, you finish at 94, 94, correct, and that's still out there. But y'all are both working at Emerson at the time. Mm-hmm. You said you're running the machine, right, yes. at Emerson. Mm-hmm. So your first job was? I was, I was working in the shaft department. Okay, in the shaft department. How many people were at uh, working at Emerson at the time? In 1993, there was probably around 1,800 full-time employees there. Is that as big as it ever got? You know, it was close. Um, I think we had uh, several temp, temp agencies supporting us at one time. In 1993 is when the North American Free Trade Agreement was passed with Bill Clinton, and uh, we decided in 1995 to build a facility in Reynosa, Mexico. And um, a lot of for a lot of reasons, uh, just the economy was booming then. They were looking for different ways to cut cost to uh, look at different ways of, of managing companies, big companies, Fortune 500 companies. And uh, so we built a facility in Reynosa, Mexico, and our volumes was huge to the point that we couldn't support them just here in Paragold. So we needed some support somewhere else. Did we know as soon as we built that factory there in Mexico that we would eventually lose jobs here? And I guess it's just something that, you know, we were willing to – to sacrifice in order, I guess, for the company to, by and large, do better? Or was one of those things where, like, originally, if you're working at Emerson, you're like, okay, yeah, we're going to build a factory there, but nothing really is going to change here. Was that kind of the message? Or did everyone just know immediately when that factory was built, like, no, like, this is going to change the game? You know, we was com- we were communicated that the, the Reynosa plant was just built to support us and support the, the growth of just just – just the economy in general and i truly believe that was the sole intent mm-hmm. for that facility it's just all the 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 things that happened in the world from 1995 to 2007 that changed paragould and changed emerson we changed to NEDAC in 2010 and uh it, it became very important that we that it was all about cost and about managing cost and the man, managing uh, people and um, we 
slowly started transitioning certain jobs, assembly jobs, uh, all labor-intensive jobs were, were transitioning from Paragould to Reynosa. The labor was just cheaper. Yeah. And uh, that was the start. It didn't start probably until 2002. So we, we held on. We, we held, our, held our crown for about seven or eight years. But, but I don't think it was the original intention. Was that hard to see? Because so, you knew, I mean, obviously your dad had been there for how many years at that point? He'd been, well, my dad retired in 94. And okay. he'd been there 20, oh, wow. He'd been there 20, 21 years. And so, but you knew people there. Like, there weren't just numbers. Yeah. Was, you. Like, those were friends. Those were family. Those were real stories. So was that difficult for you when you begin to see that transition? Well, it wasn't in it wasn't in the beginning because I wasn't involved in in a lot of the transitions in the beginning. But as as I grew through the company, um, it began it began to get harder and harder and harder. So let's talk about that. So you were um, started out working a machine. Eventually, you get to plant manager. But how did that happen? Did you have to go back to school? What happened? So in nineteen ninety nine. Um, I actually just had an accident. It was just a nothing big, but I did break my leg. Was off work for about six months. Heather was the only one working, and um, when I went back to work, it was the day after the Fourth of July. I was actually I was driving a forklift. I was still very satisfied with um, just being who I was and working on the floor. On an honest day's work. Right? Honest day's work. I mean, I was really happy. My wife always continuously, I had more to give, more to give. And and I, I just didn't have that passion at that point to, to take it to the next step. And when I went back to work on July the 5th, uh, we had actually had a uh, transition in workforce. We, we'd act, The economy had went down, and they had adjusted the labor force. And I I had been bumped or moved off my forklift job, and I was on the assembly line standing on the concrete. And with that, um, it was it was just tough. I mean, I went through rehab, and I'd done it for about a week. And you're how old at this point? And I was 26, okay, 27, somewhere yeah. in there. Okay. And um, I just walked walked. Walked to the truck one night, and I was like, you know, they got to be something else out there. And I got up the next morning. Uh, you got to remember, there wasn't a lot of cell phones. Wasn't still a lot working of nights at that place too. Nights, okay. Her and I both were. All right. And um, we, um, there wasn't a lot of technology to to like communicate what's going on or what's going through your mind. Well, I went home that night and I thought about it, and I was like, you know. Maybe I do need to look into going to college. You know, maybe I need to look and see where I'm at and see what opportunities. Emerson, then they had a they had a reimbursement program where they would pay for you to go to college, and actually um, they would reimburse you 75 percent as long as you were going in a field that benefited the company. Hmm. So I got up the next morning. Got in the truck, drove to Jonesboro. Had no clue where I was going. Been out of school for eight years. Um, I asked. I just started walking the streets at ASU. Wanted to know wow. where where the Chickasaw Building was. I think was the name. <laughs> yep. And finally found it. Went in. Told told a lady what I wanted, and I explained to her that I'd went to school in ninety one through ninety three, and I'd actually um, quit 
and we she pulled my records up. She looked at it. I and I remember us going through that, and she told me what I needed and what I wanted, and what path I needed to go down. And and uh, I was gone all day. It was an all day ordeal. My wife, we we we'd leave to go. We left to go home or go to work at two thirty in the afternoon, and I was she was standing at the door, didn't have a cell phone. Oh man, she was. We had we had my daughter at the time, and and Madeline had to go to the babysitter, and and I pulled up. <laughs> Where have you been? Yeah, and we uh, forget how convenient it is to have yeah, a cell phone just it, to shoot it, a simple text. Yeah, and uh, I just walked in with the paperwork and I laid it on the counter, and I still remember she just sat down on the floor and started crying. Oh man, you know it's pretty special yeah. that day, you know, and she was so happy for you, proud for you. We didn't know, and and I wasn't for sure that I wanted to go to ASU, so I I reached out because I wasn't for sure. I still I I was cut out for it. I had no clue, and I ended up uh, going to Crowley's Ridge College and meeting mm-hmm. with a few guys there. And Art, brother Art, met with him and laid out the he laid out a plan for me. I spent two years at Crowley's Ridge College while I worked forty hours a week. Emerson was tremendous working with the hours. Uh, they 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 always made sure that they seen that that what I was doing and they worked with me to make sure that I got off and work around school. That's great. Make sure that we planned that out. And I finished uh, Crowley's Ridge College. Um, I, then I transferred to ASU. What did you finish with at Crowley's Ridge? What degree? Well, I actually didn't get a degree. Okay. At Crowley's Ridge College, okay. I just finished all my basics. Okay. And, uh, and got to a point there, and uh, I'm leaving out of park, so we may have to step back here. Yeah, go and for it, man. I, it was it was 2001, and it was Memorial Day, and I was still working on the I was still working by the hour on the floor, and um, we had a barbecue at a um, it was actually a, a a manufacturing company here in town and and uh they they would have a big barbecue for for the factories around and just for appreciation day and i was standing in line at the barbecue with my father-in-law because my father-in-law was a general supervisor at emerson Hmm. and i run into a couple of guys and they 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 asked they said hey we hear you're going to school Uh, would you be interested in a in a customer quality tech position uh traveling to to the customer and i said i don't know why and they was and they kind of talked to me at lunch that day and think about it if you're interested turn in a resume and so i did i turned in a resume and that's when my life really started changing um i went to work that or interviewed with a couple of guys that later on was my boss and later on was and and I was just petrified. I was I was just I was scared to death. And um, when the interview process was over, uh, they called me to the plant manager's office, which in the end was my office. Mm-hmm. Um, and they offered me a job in 2001, traveling to uh, a 300 million dollar account, Whirlpool, uh, for thirty thousand dollars. Hmm. I still remember, and we laugh, and thirty thousand dollars was a lot of money. Two thousand and one, and I went home, talked to my wife about it, and we felt that this was the first step in what was to come. And I was going to be traveling forty to fifty percent of the time, 
and we decided that would be the starting path that we would take from there. What what when you say the starting path, what are, where did you see yourself going at that point? Well, just to a better career, to a better future, to, okay. to something outside of. Uh, so you weren't thinking plant manager at no, that point. I had You're no just clue. thinking, yeah. okay, yeah, I had no clue. All right, yeah. Um, so I went in, I took the position, and I'll just share with you just how country I truly was. <laughs> uh, I, I accepted the job. The plant manager, his name's Durwood Biles. He still lives here in Greene County. Great man. He stood up, shook my hand, and he said, congratulations, go buy a suitcase, you leave in the morning. And I'd never been on an airplane. I was 26 years old. Oh. And uh, they sent they sent me to Ohio, and I spent uh, five years up there. I was actually was going to ASU online in school, and I was uh, traveling to the customer, spent a lot of time in Ohio, Illinois, Iowa, um, Wisconsin, and I was actually just a, a customer quality rep. I was getting that customer experience there. And uh, Durwood explained to me when, when I finished my college, there would be more to offer. Hmm. I graduated in, in August of 2006 with a, with a business uh, management degree. And we, we looked at different options on, on what life had to offer. And um, it was just circled around Emerson. Emerson was, was my few, it's, it was my whole life. You know, my, mm-hmm. my dad worked there. I had been there. And for, at this point, I'd been there for 13 years. And, mm-hmm. and you uh, knew the company well. Knew the company well. And I had a background customer experience. And, um, we had a new management change, and we had a new leader that joined Durwood Retired. We had a guy came in. His name was Scott Waring, tremendous friend. I talked to him last week. He lives in Wisconsin now, and he's seen something in me just as Jerry Gillum seen in me when I was just a kid. And uh, he sat me down. He started mentoring me, started working with me on a day-to-day basis. Mm. We put together a five-year plan. Rick, what do you want to do when you're five years? In five years, what do you what, what do you truly want to be when you grow up? And uh, he asked me to take on an operations role, and uh, I, he offered me a general supervisor's job, running the shaft department. It was a three-shift operation. Had 77 employees at the time. And I ran it for about three years. Uh, was eager. I was young, and and you know when you when you're when you want something bad, it was just, it was just and it was there to get. It was just an opportunity yeah. to grab. Yeah, I spent three years there. Scott just kept working with me and continued to he he continued to mold me. And we would have one on ones, just one on one time. Oh, this is what you need to do. This is where you need to be. Hmm. And why um, do you think he took such an interest in you? Because you know it's not always the case that leaders will think about helping others. I'm not saying good leaders, but some leaders are just hey, I'm here to get my check. I'm here to serve my time. It's not really on my. If it's on my job description, I'll do it. If it's not on my job description, I'm not going to. I'm not going to worry about necessarily raising up other people. Why do you think he took an interest in you? Well, you know, Scott came from. Uh, he came from Ford Motor Company. He was from. Uh, he wasn't from Greene County or from from Arkansas for that matter. And um, 
I think he's seen something inside of me that that probably no one's seen. You know, I'm I'm thinking he's seen an opportunity to mold me into being a stronger leader and also a, as a team, being a leader and having a strong team mm-hmm. is very important. Mm-hmm. And and there was there was a lot of uh, family, a lot of history inside of Emerson, a uh, lot of um, just loyalty there yeah and he was there the business was i'm not going to say the business was in trouble but the business had been struggling for some time and he was he was brought there to make some changes and he saw you as a key contributor on the team mm-hmm. yeah and so i done that for about three years and i had the opportunity to take on a larger department and uh i took on a, a department in in the back of the plant where I spent two years, and it was and it was it was a mean bear. Along the way, I mean, it was it was tough. They had worked, for instance, they had worked Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for all for twelve months out of the year. They may take off for the holiday and the holiday days only. Hmm. And uh, when I moved back there, he he challenged me to to get that company or to get that department on a on a uh, 40-hour week. Wow. And one gift that I know that, that is was gifted to me was, was team building. I was just a huge team builder. I, mm-hmm. I was just always a uh, – I, I was part of that team because I grew up there and I was – I could go out and I just one-on-one with team members and, hey, what's going on? What's going on with this machine? What's What can I do to help produce more, make better quality? And – um, what do you think makes uh, you said you have you know that's an area you've been gifted in is the ability to build teams what is necessary to build good teams in your mind is it is it 100% about like the, whoever the leader of that team is like just is this relational capacity emotional intelligence is it I think everybody has a gift everybody has a gift and you have to identify that gift and it could be uh, not everybody is the leader and you got to have followers and you got to have supporters and you got to be able to identify them people along the way and being able to get down to their level. I mean, the guy sweeping the floor is just as important as the guy running the machine Mm -hmm. or running the department. And if that, and if that employee appreciates you and appreciates, appreciates what you've got to offer him, whether it just be a friendship or a pat on the back or, to know his name, I think that's what builds a good team. Mm-hmm. And just knowing the employee and being able to talk to him. I mean, honestly, you know, I always joke about uh, asking someone how Sally Sue did at a mall game last night. And mm-hmm. they they truly know you probably don't care how Sally Sue did in the ball game, but they just know that you know Sally Sue's name mm-hmm. and that, that you broke down to that one-on-one um transition with them that you know something about them that makes them smile Mm -hmm. and then once you get their support and and they're standing behind you well then they'll carry the wagon and all you've got to do is stare yeah what you're talking about is on some levels is empathy you know just the fact that you can put yourself in someone else's place and think about what must it be like to live their life or walk in their shoes and then act like you or actually in your case i think truly care show that you care you know, like I said about their kids or what's going on there. And then when people know that you care, 
like so much of life is relational, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter how much you know or how maybe competent you are. If people know that you care about them, they're willing to go to work for you, right? Yep. Get in the trenches with you, whatever. So you're in the back there running operations in that department in Emerson, trying to get it down to 40 hours. You're building team. So what you're doing that for two years, you said, right? Two and I years. guess that ends mm-hmm. up going fairly well. It went well. And and throughout that two years we just continued to improve. We had an oppor- I had an opportunity to become a quality manager at that point, which put me on on, on the staff at at Emerson at the time. And I had customer quality experience and so I applied and went to St. Louis to an interview and here's where mentors really took over there mm-hmm. was actually two guys that was founded in and in, in emerson when emerson started their names was bob lamb and bob caldwell uh they're both they both still live in st louis and uh, they knew my family they knew my wife's family and uh, they started mentoring me from that point that day when they found i was coming to st louis they actually set up a meeting in an italian restaurant when I got to St. Louis, I called them, and they give me a whole list of things to do and be prepared for during the interview process the day before. Hmm. And I stayed up that night going through that interview, and they were vice presidents, so they they were way up the corporate ladder. And they they made me understand that if, if I was prepared when I went in that interview and I wanted that job, that I'd know when I leave that I had it and uh, they played a they played a big role in that transition and um, and they were right every question every question that was I was asked that day I was prepared to answer hmm. and they continued to mold they continued to check in see where I was at throughout the course of a couple of years there so it was in 2008 when I went as a quality manager and the, and they offered me the quality manager's job, and they asked me to be uh, TS sixteen nine forty nine or certified, and uh, that was to be certified in the automotive industry to make sell parts, uh, the, the automotive industry, and uh, that was my my biggest task, and that's what we did. Uh, we went in, we changed the total. Uh, quality certification we've hired some new people uh we hired a lady in green county that was just tremendous her name was nancy clark and uh she i worked with her for years great lady and she knew the the she knew the quality manual she knew the process she knew iso really well and uh, she was ready to retire and she said i'll get you 16949 certified but i'm retiring when i'm done (laughs) And she did, and uh, it took about 18 months. We got certified, and at that point, I was beginning to see some paths along the way. Uh, I had quality experience at the customer. I had operational experience, two different departments throughout the plant. I came from uh, working on the assembly line, so I had that background. I was building a resume, and I didn't even know it at the Mm -hmm. time, and and, uh, Scott Waring was still leading the plant still guiding us from that standpoint um so he was prepping me along the way and um 
I was about two years as a quality manager. It was right at 2010, and, and the assistant plant manager actually left the plant. And um, they had, Scott called me, and he said, Rick, he said, I got a serious question. I said, okay, what's that? And he said, um, do you like operations better than you like quality? And I said, I think operations is my passion. Mm. And so he moved me into assistant plant manager role. And You were how old at that point? Um, 2010. Gosh, I was 30, 34. 34. No, 35. All right. Yeah, and and um, we started assistant plant manager, so I was kind of running the entire plant from the floor level, not really from the office level, mm-hmm. reporting directly to him. All the day-to-day operations. All the day-to-day operations. And along the way, I met an engineer. I met multiple engineers that just continued to support me. I could... I could name people that you know that and uh, Al Gore or Al Gore, yeah, J.R. Yeah. J.R. Gore, Gore, J. R. Gore yeah. was a tremendous asset to me. J.R. is awesome. Uh, had a uh, had a dear friend uh, that that actually came aboard. His name was Al Fitz, and um, he actually led me through uh, some challenging moments with hydraulics and understanding people and and he was one of the first ones that told me he said you're going to be the plant manager someday Hmm. he said you just stay the course son you're going to be there and so i would credit my role as becoming the plant manager to um along the way there was people put in my path that that really took a huge interest in rick ellis Hmm. and um was it faith or was it Hmm. An act of God. Who, who really? Know, who really knows? But I had some tremendous people that, mm-hmm. uh, and I still have great relationships with with all of them. In 2012, uh, the building, we we had a um, had an issue with the building. Well, actually, the building caught on fire one day, and uh, the whole back end of the plant was on fire. I was the only. I was. I was there with J.R. Gore and we had evacuated the building and the fire department couldn't come in and I, I was still and I you tell by my um, I, I'm still I'm a country boy <laughs> <laughs> and I'm standing there in this door and we're, we're looking J.R. standing there looking at me and this guy comes walking in he was with the Paragould Police Department and he said I want to know who's in charge <laughs> and J.R. just took and he points right at me and he says he's in charge and I just I, I I introduced it, and it was Kevin Lang. Yeah. And Kevin actually, he said, and we talked there for a minute, and he said, Rick, he said, you've got three minutes to turn the power off to this building. He said, and if you don't, you're going to lose it. Wow. He said, we can't get back there because of the electric, uh, all, all the power going to the back, the gas. And he said, we've got city light and water out on the pole fixing to cut the pole. You got to make a decision, and I said, "Cut the power." And Jr. He said, "Rick." He said, "I'll stand behind you 100 percent." He gave me the pros and cons. I, I still remember that day, and and uh, we decided not to. And uh, my maintenance manager, Doug Robinson, he came around the corner and said, "Don't cut the power. I know how to get it off. If you shut the power off, we'll be down for a week." And uh, in about 30 seconds, he had a power shut off, and 
Uh, fire department got in, shut the building off. We rebuilt the building in 2012. And How much damage was done um, on that fire? We probably had about a, a 30%. It wasn't a total loss, but we, ha- we had tremendous damage. We lost two departments. Wow. And we had to go back and reconstruct them and actually put them back together. So, and um, just taking the lead of that project and just seeing how that team worked well with me. Um, and I don't, I don't take any credit for it. I give the team credit. I mean, basically, they just needed guidance. But along the way of making that happen, they did a tremendous job in building that plant back, mm. putting it together, moving. We transitioned people all over the country, uh, supporting the business. We never lost one day of work. Wow. Uh, we continued to move dies and move presses and move machines around and get people put in place that that could support the business and continue to operate and when that project i'm gonna call it a project when it was done uh they asked me to take the plant manager's role scott Mm -hmm. moved on and i took that role from that point it was an interim role uh still wasn't for sure see how you do it still wasn't for sure uh, I took the role having no clue that that was where I was going to end up, and that was in 2012. And um, it may have been 2013, but it was right there. And I'd done it for four months and and continued to – I was under very, very uh, tight leash under Scott. And in December of – that year, he actually called me one afternoon. He said, "Why don't uh, Why don't you and Heather meet me at dinner?" And I was like, "Well, you could have given me a heads up, you know." <laughs> and, and he said, "Well, he said if you can't, that's okay." And so um, we did. I called her, and she she got we got prepared, and we went and had lunch, and we walked in. He shook my hand, and he shook Heather's hand, and he sat down, and he never spoke to me all night. He just spoke to Heather. He just talked to her, which was the oddest thing I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> I mean, I was just sitting there, and I mean, he never he never even talked to me. He talked to her. What was that about? He was interviewing her. He wanted, he, he knew that if anybody understood you, yeah. the real you, it was your wife. And he, I mean, he asked her questions from going to Walmart, being being the plant manager's wife and the scrutiny that she might or might not be under to uh, supporting me late nights, supporting any kind of activity that we might have to go through, hard times, tough times. And was she willing and ready to do that because he didn't want to sacrifice the, the, the gift that her and I had together being being married from the time we were 19 or 20 mm. till that day. And uh, we got up and left that morning or that that night, and we just drove home. wasn't really for sure what that was all about. But the next <laughs> mo- the next morning, he came in and he had an offer letter, and he said, "I want to offer you the plant manager's job." And he said, "You got a, you got everything. You've got the family. You've got a good wife. You've got a good background." And it just grew from there, and continued to manage the plant. The the plant continued i'm not gonna say struggle but we've seen lots of changes 2008 to 2012 is when we've seen the economic recession mm-hmm. a lot of jobs transitioned out of the paragold at that time can we continue to do a lot of uh, 
competitive bids on anything. I've, I've just met some tremendous friends along the way, John Wallace being one mm-hmm. of them, and Ranger Tool and Die. Mm-hmm. Uh, just working directly with him, and John just he's just a just a great business guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, him and I still have a relationship today. He does work for me today. Um, Hillcrest Tool with Kelly Forkham. We, we do a lot of work together that started from Emerson, mm-hmm. NEDAC time frame. And uh, Jonesboro Tool and Die, which is just down the road from where I'm at today, still do work with them. So building relationships, trusting, and and uh, just following following a path is what took, took, took me to where I was at at that point. If you ever look back on your time, the path from working a machine working on the machine, working on the floor to become a plant manager and just ask yourself like, man, how did I really get here? Because you look back at it and it makes sense, right? Like every single step, like you can look back and be like, okay, like, yeah, I can see how I was groomed. I can see how I was, uh, you know, when you got this education, I worked this job and that job, but doesn't it seem like oftentimes, I mean, there's just a lot of things that were also out of your control that had to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's just pretty crazy when you think about all of it, right? Like it's not, you listen to your story. It's true of most people. It's not like you can just say, hey, man, if you'll just do step one, two, and three, you can also go from the floor to plant manager, right? There's just a lot of things you had to do that was in your control, but then a lot of things that was just like, man, I, I would never plan it that way. It just kind of happened. That, is that true? Yeah. I never, I never planned. It never was in, I'm, I'm going to say, my deck of cards. To, to be the plant manager as the director of operations at FMH Conveyors. Um, wasn't for sure what my plan was. I just knew that that we all have plans and, and, and dreams. You know, I, I, I've, I've said many times uh, I should be the poster child holding a diploma that you see somewhere that says, hey, if I can do it, anyone can. Mm. And uh, just, mm. uh, you know, I credit a, I credit. All my success to my wife, I mean, she stood beside me all the way. To mm. this day, she still does. Mm. I mean, um, my family, my mom and dad, my my mother-in-law and my father-in-law mm. was always there to support me. Mm. Uh, but most of all, my wife, my kids. Yeah, I huge. mean, my wife was always there no matter what. I mean, she sacrificed six years or five and a half years of me being gone. And we had two kids then, and so she she was a single mom. Yeah. So, I mean, and I'd show up, might be home for a day, two days, and I'd be going on an airplane, yeah. you know, so. Uh-huh. It's huge. What would you say, um, or tell me about just your job now. So you're Senior Director of Manufacturing um, manufacturing Operations at FMH Conveyor. When did you transition into that job, and what exactly does is that entail? So in 2019, um, FMH reached out to me and asked me if I'd be interested in coming to Jonesboro as a director of operations. And um, just the uncertainty of what life had in store, just looking for opportunities and how do you grow and where do you, where your path leads you. Um, you know, I said, you know, let's look into it and let's just see what's there. And just looking at the opportunity that was there, and when I went down, looked at the opportunity, looked at looked at the job, looked at what was required. Is a new company that had just started, 
It was just a couple of years old. Uh, had a lot of young uh, workers there. They had turnover. They had uh, there. There was no unity across the board, hmm. and felt like I could offer that. Offer uh, the team building gift that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. I could offer it there, and mm-hmm. then I could also bring different things from um, suppliers, people that I knew was solid. Bring them into the equation to make us successful, and so I made that decision to transition in 2019 to FMH as the director of operations. Like how big is that company? Like how many people? It, we does empl- it employ? We employ about 300. Okay. And um, our business is very cyclical. We're busy, very busy in the summertime, and in the in, in the off months from November to till February, we're slow. Uh, we make conveyors, and and uh, as the world has transitioned from um, going out and shopping and 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 going to the store, going you can buy groceries at Walmart now online and stop and pick them up, mm-hmm. you know. And um, conveyors has been uh, a huge part of that retail and e-commerce business. Amazon has taken over the world you know and yeah, yeah. uh, all type of retail has Y'all do work with amazon we we do work with amazon and uh we we spend a a, a lot of our focus there for sure hmm. there's so much i'd like to ask you we'll have to bring you back on but i'm i'm curious before we uh leave and you've mentioned some of this but what do you think as you look back on leaders that you've been under and now being in leadership yourself what makes for a good leader I think finding, you know, one thing that, that um, my mentors along the way, and I always go back to Scott because Scott was was a tremendous player in, in making me who I am today. And and finding that that young person or two young, two young individuals that has that ability or, or them strengths that you can focus on and mentoring them and passing that, uh, passing that on. And uh, I've got two right now that I work with, not on a daily basis, but I would say a monthly basis that we meet. And I just 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 coach, just where are you at? And they'll come ask questions, and they'll, oh, what do you, what would you do here? And and I love that. I mean, I love that. I think that's a great opportunity just to continue to grow business and pass on, uh, develop developing new leaders in the mm-hmm. company. Mm-hmm. So yeah. For those who might be listening who maybe they are in the position that you were in, um, maybe they're not exactly, you know, reaching their full potential yet. Um, you know, maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but they maybe even desire to get a little bit further down that path um, like you. But where they currently are, maybe it seems like they're a long way from where they want to be. What advice would you give to that person? based off of what you've seen in your own life and the life of others? The best advice I would give is establish goals and attainable goals. And don't be afraid to take that risk, whether mm-hmm. it be in manufacturing, whether it be in a, in a business, or whether it be in a, in a privately owned business. Don't be afraid to take that risk and and give it a hundred percent all the time and always have faith Hmm. that's excellent and that's a great place i feel like to stop that is a message that we continue to hear 
um, from so many people that we admire uh, living right here in the city is if you want to be able to see some of your dreams fulfilled or accomplish great things, you have to be willing to take a risk. Don't be afraid of the failure. Be willing to step into it. And so, Rick, man, it's been awesome uh, getting to hang out with you. I mean that. And I hope that we can spend uh, more time together. I feel like I have a lot I can learn from you. So even off the mic, I hope in the future I can reach out, maybe grab you some lunch or something like that and ask you some more questions. But thanks so much for uh, making time to, to come on today. Thank you. So that was Rick Ellis. Uh, man, I'm still blown away by the fact that he built his own house. Like, that so doesn't quick, happen very often, so does it? So quickly, too. Yeah. And the fact that he had never done it before. Um, my, my, my boys, you know, I've got three kids, and my boys are, are young. But um, I wish I could get them to listen to this podcast because I really do think he is such a great example of somebody who's like, hey, you know what? I never felt like I was just like the top of, of anything. But he was honest, and he was hardworking, and he would just show up and – Man, if you will do that, like seriously, in any area of life, like things are going to go pretty well for you. Like you'll just do those things. Like show up, work hard, be honest. Like that's going to pay off. And so, um, and he's a great, great example of that. So Rick, thanks again for for coming on. Hey, if you're still listening to this, um, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. That'll help people find us uh, quicker and learn more about the great people living here in our city. Also, we're on all the social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, we have a website, paragoldpodcast.com, um, that you can go and visit. If you've not subscribed to our email list, we would encourage you to do that. So as always, thanks for listening. Until next time.